0: Chapter 42 Somehow, the excellent shoes Cassandra had given Stella made everything worse. They fit so snugly that she didn't shuffle anymore. This new confidence gave her greater pleasure in walking, but she had nowhere interesting to go. More clearly than ever before, Stella saw what she was missing outside. And to go outside all she needed was the four-digit key code for the front door. But the warden had said she was not to be trusted with it. So, not for Stella the dignified exit for a Sunday afternoon ramble up Dunbar Street. Not for Stella any independent outing to the Oak Ridge Mall with a stop for tea and a vol-au-vents uh, at the little café where the proprietor still knew what those were and if Stella should at her age choose to take up smoking and why should she not if she desired to smoke not for her the amble down to the corner store to purchase cigarettes utterly alone she paced along the corridor as quickly as she could manage and then realized that she had no idea where she was headed She slowed and looked around her. Where was she? She stopped walking and then, seeing Ollie approaching, greeted him with a feigned cheerfulness and pretended that she was not in need of direction but had simply halted in order to velcro-shut the front placket of her fleece warm-up jacket. He passed her with a grin and a high five. After a moment's thought, She carried on. Once she saw that the surrounding sponge work on the walls between the doorways was yellow, she grasped exactly where she was. She had walked right past her own room 34 and was now approaching the furthest reaches of Daffodil Corridor. Most people would judge the end of Daffodil Corridor as having nothing particular to recommend it. But Stella knew better. For one thing, it was out of sight of Corridor Park and therefore minutes away from the Greek Chorus. It was also as distant from the warden's office as it was possible to be while still remaining inside the building. As well, it had hosted a very happy scene, that of the pulling of the fire alarm, which had led to her showdown with young Bellamy. Furthermore, this was the door she had stumbled through to the outside a few days earlier, the fire door leading out of the building. The door was wide and painted black, with an exit sign in red above it and across it a big metal push bar. She remembered the effort it had taken to shove that bar all the way down, and the shouldering that had been required to open the door just wide enough to slip through. She wondered whether she was strong enough to open it now without Ollie unlatching it as he had previously done to sneak off for a smoke break. But she didn't want Ollie's help. She wanted to go outside. She didn't want any help from anybody to do so. She didn't need the warden's passcode. She didn't want it. She didn't need the warden's almighty permission. If Stella Ryman, an elderly person to be sure, but still a citizen of a great nation and able to vote, wanted to step her foot outside this door onto the soil of her own country, she would do so. She stopped before the door. She put her hand on the long metal bar to open it. Before she could do so, she heard the sound of a throat being cleared. After the first jolt of surprise had cleared, Stella felt a little sorry for whoever was behind her at this particular moment in time. She turned, and there were several thousand former school children, all of them now grown up, who would have known what to expect from the rare but unmistakable look in her eye. However, when she saw the throat-clearer was Theo, she softened. Hello, she said, peering up at him. He was very tall. Theo looked from Stella to the door. Stella, are you sure you want to... Yes, she took hold of the fire-door push-bar. All right, he pushed back his excellent hair from his forehead with one hand and asked, Well then, do you dance? Stella frowned. It was a question she had heard often, long ago in her youth, usually at a large round table with a sweet drink before her. Stella had been rather a sensible girl even back then, and the drink would have had nothing stronger in it than a maraschino cherry. She had girlfriends among the gin drinkers, but she had been uncomfortable with the giggling and almost studied reeling that went along with it. She was, after all, the daughter of Tannis Maria Seton. But she danced whenever somebody asked her. She was not shy about dancing. It was said in those days that girls, even the gin drinkers, didn't sweat They glowed. Stella used to dance until she glowed. I do dance, she assured Theo, but not, I'm afraid, without music. She took her hand off the bar. Then push, he suggested. Stella looked carefully at him. His blue eyes were unreadable. She put both hands back on the bar and pushed. No sooner had she done so than a noise like the jangle of a million alarm clocks exploded above and around them. She set off the alarm again. Stella let go the bar and the door clicked shut again, with the two of them still on the inside of it. Deafened by the cacophony, she met Theo's blue gaze. She couldn't hear what he said, but she found she could read The words on his lips. Ah, music. (laughs) Stella burst out laughing. Feeling giddy as any gin dancing girl, she took his hand in hers and pulled him away along the corridor. The two of them reeled with haste. Just as they reached room 34, the staff room door began to open. Stella didn't know how she and Theo managed it, but Within the second it would have taken them to be spotted, they had darted out of sight into Stella's room. Her back against the door, she stood beside Theo, her arms around what felt like a large, warm boulder in her belly. She exchanged a look with him that was meant to be aghast, but didn't quite achieve its aim. Theo squeezed her hand. Outside, the alarm's cacophony stopped at last, and there came the sound of running feet in the corridor. On the far side of the room, rain pattered against the window over her bed. Theo opened his mouth as if to speak, but at a rapping at the door, he shut it again. Mrs. Ryman, Cheryl called. Everything all right in there? Stella flapped her free hand at Theo, who let go of her and moved along the door far enough that he couldn't easily be seen. She opened the door a couple of inches and peered out at Cheryl through the gap. The care worker's Gioconda smile above her blue teddy bear patterned uniform looked slightly strained. Unexpected loud noises did have that effect on some people, Stella thought with sympathy. Stella asked, what was that terrible ringing? Just the alarm, Mrs. Ryman. Has a robber broken in? As Stella asked her question, she heard a hissing sound beside her. Theo was laughing. Out of Cheryl's sight, she poked Theo's arm. A false alarm, Ollie says, Charles sighed. For a minute there, I thought we'd all have to go outside into the rain. Lucky we didn't, Stella was forced "'to give Theo another poke. "'Is it lunch time yet?' "'Still an hour to go. Shall I come in?' "'No,' Stella said more loudly than she meant to, "'and then more softly. "'No, thank you. I'm just listening to some music.' "'Politely but definitely, she shut the door. "'She found Theo up against the wall next to her washroom,' bent almost double with silent laughter. He looked up, and as she met his eyes, laughter welled up inside her, too. It was a terrible kind of laughter, because she was trying so hard to keep silent, but as with childbirth and sneezes, she had no say in stopping it. She staggered away from him, both of them laughing a little louder now, and she fell back onto her bed. "'rolling sideways to spare her back. "'She curled up and heard herself gurgle slightly before stopping at last. "'He quieted as well. "'Then she met his eye, and they were off again. "'At last she pulled herself upright to sit on the edge of her bed. "'She rose and made her way to the door. "'On tender hooks she opened it a crack and peeked out into the corridor.' All clear, she said. We can go, he nodded. She imagined that they had walked down to Corridor Park together, spinning out the moment as long as they could make it last. But he moved past her through the door, swiftly and silently in that way of his. He was halfway along Daffodil Corridor before she had gotten used to his being gone. Shaking her head, she sniffed the air. Macaroni, again. This will not stand, Stella Ryman. One of these days, the food situation would have to be addressed. She straightened her warm-up jacket, then she headed out to see what more she could stir up. Chapter 43 Anyone who has read James Clavell's King Rat knows that great things may be accomplished in small places if one is prepared to take tortuously minuscule steps towards a goal. Inspired by her recollection of this semi autobiographical novel, Stella decided to remove the front door key code from the director's sphere of action and bring it into her own. She broke her project down into workable stages. First step. Like anybody operating beneath the radar of official power, she had to evaluate the challenge. Stella made her way to Fairmont Manor's front door and laid her hand against the glass. It felt cold against her palm. Outside the door, past her own ghost-like reflection, Dripping shrubs and pots lined the path that led beneath a sopping awning and out into the great world. On the inside of the door, to the left, and at shoulder height to Stella, there was a keypad like that of a telephone. She ran her fingers over the numbers, the way Junie, when she was little, used to press all the buttons in an elevator before Stella snatched her hand away. Junie, with an expression so sweet and full of joy that the other passengers simply stood stoically while the elevator stopped at every floor. She noted that while elevator buttons lit up, the buttons on the front door keypad did not. Furthermore, Stella had expected them to clatter softly like Mahjong tiles, they did not. Each one played a different soft note, and she tapped out a purposeless, buzzy little tune. Tired of this, she pressed her forehead against the glass. She became conscious of a gray feeling. Neither unhappy nor happy. A feeling she remembered from childhood when she stood up against the window watching the rain. Because the awning outside sheltered the doorway, she couldn't watch drops of water race each other down the window glass the way she used to, but she could still hear the pop and splash of raindrops as they landed in the plant pots and the puddles in the middle of the passenger drop-off driveway. As she contemplated the scene, an unmarked white van pulled into the drop-off drive It waited there, its engine running. The van had no windows, and so was unlikely to be here to collect an elderly relative for an outing. She had not noticed any relatives at all picking up residents today, although later on a deputation to Oak Ridge Mall was scheduled to view the Easter displays. Not that she would be found dead going on any of Fairmount's little supervised group outings. But this one seemed particularly senseless to her. If she wanted to see a lot of pink and purple and yellow things, all she had to do was visit the dining room and look around at all the fleece warm-up jackets. And what a childish, hateful thought that was, especially since her own warm-up jacket and trousers today were Pink's next-door neighbor, Pale Green. Toddler's colors. But Pale Green had seemed so cheerful and practical when, preparing for her move to Fairmount, she had placed her phone order with the catalog salesperson, the same woman who had nearly convinced her to brighten up even further with a floral multi-print. She rested her hand on the window again, just in time for Mrs. Perdita Warren to swish by in her high heels and career suit. Stella heard her murmur. Please don't mark up the windows, Mrs. Ryman. Stella dropped her hand to her side. When having thanked her, the director had pattered away stella drew a smiley face in the mist in the glass with her finger but her inner rebellion was an unworthy distraction from her goal first making sure she was still alone in the foyer she pressed four buttons on the keypad the two seven three and five just as if she knew what she was doing She repeated the sequence, and the buzzy four-note tune repeated. It felt so right that she pushed them again. She pushed on the latch, but the door stood shut. Silly woman. Did you think that the key code would just come to you like magic in a hero's hour of need? Still, she was all alone, so she thought... She might as well try the door again. It made a clicking sound, but did not open. In the silence that followed, she heard somebody humming. She turned and saw that Theo had come up behind her. Wordlessly, he sang a bar of music, and sang it again. With a start, she recognized it as the atonal melody of numbers two, seven, three, and five, that she had pressed in that order. Reaching over Stella's shoulder, Theo tapped on several of the buttons. Two, seven, three, and five. And the little buzzy tune sounded again. That's correct, isn't it? she asked. I did get the tune right. How do you do that? she asked. Against her will. The bored child inside her insisted on pointing out, Of course, he did watch me push the buttons. Just then, a second van, blue this time, pulled up in the passenger drive to the walkway outside. Around the corner of the corridor, a fellow came rolling a small, empty, flatbed trolley. He said, One side, please, lady and gent. Stella and Theo moved to the right, out of his way. Why the fellow was using the front entrance for a delivery, Stella couldn't tell. Some people were just contrary. She jammed her hands inside the pockets of her fleece jacket and watched the inefficient shoving and shouldering going on as the workmen got the trolley up to the front door. Theo stepped forward to help but was waved back with thanks. As the fellow punched in the numbers, Stella strained to see, but his fingers moved too quickly for her to follow. At last, he made it through with his trolley, and the door shut behind him. Theo's whisper made her ear tingle. Eight, seven, two, and niner. (laughs) We said niner in the army, Theo explained. That's the keypad sequence, to exit. That's not right, Stella shook her head. It couldn't be. He moved his fingers too quickly for anybody to see what numbers he was punching in. She managed not to mention Theo's eyes, so watery that, in combination with his age, trouble with his sight was inevitable. Theo touched his ears and winked. I used to play piano. He held up his crooked hands. Not anymore but I've got perfect pitch, and tinnitus. Before she could reply, he had given her shoulder a pat and walked swiftly off around the corner of the corridor. She stood where he had left her, staring down at the keypad. She muttered, Eight, seven, two, and niner. Saying Niner made her feel like she had gained some information that would turn the course of a war. Eight-seven-two-niner. Logic told her that Theo might have been attempting to brighten her with nonsense talk regarding the numbers, but her heart knew that wasn't true. If she tapped that series of numbers into the keypad, the door would open for her. She imagined herself punching in the numbers right now. She could see herself strolling out through the front door, down the awning-covered walkway, along the driveway, and out to the road. Then, with gloom, she pictured her return. To ignominy and lectures in the warden's office. Eight, seven, two, niner. It was like being handed something powerful and unexpected, like a million dollars or a table saw.